It's time for Bring Your Own Lunch, a podcast for your whole face, with your host, Dave T. Koenig. Hello, come on in, welcome. This is the Bring Your Own Lunch podcast at bringyourownlunch.com, the magic of iTunes, the majesty of Stitcher. And however you found your way to download this program, I thank you. As you heard at the top, my name is Dave T. Koenig. I am an actor, writer, director, producer, comedian, all-around swell dude, and of course the host of the program you're listening to right now, BYOL. Glad to have you on board. My guest this week is Rob King. He's a friend of mine who is an actor and playwright uh, who has been recognized well for both. Uh, He recently appeared on The Blacklist, and he is working on several projects as we speak. Uh, I met Rob doing a show in New York called Accomplice, and Accomplice is an interactive theater experience. This is where the audience gets thrust into an environment with actors, and the actors are always in character, and they're interacting with the audience. Uh, and, and as Rob and I discuss, having the audience be given license to talk to an actor during a performance for the actor creates all kinds of different challenges and complications and and fun things that can happen, and we talk about that, and, and uh, it's good to connect with him that way and, and maybe uh, shed some light on something you may not be aware of. Uh, I don't want to tell you too much about Accomplice itself, and you'll hear we sort of talk around what Accomplice is uh, because part of the fun of going to Accomplice and seeing that show is not knowing what you're getting into, but we are able to talk about the unique uh, things that happen when you have an audience who can speak directly to actors as they're doing their thing. And for me, doing that show was a great challenge because I was able to use the 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 abilities that, that I brought to the table all at the same time sometimes, uh, acting and improv and stand-up. Uh, so good challenge, and he and I talk about that. I went up to his apartment in Harlem, and we talk a little bit about that as well, and some of the work he's done, including the play African American, for which he was recognized all about his unique situation growing up in New Jersey as the son of an African-American father and a Caucasian mother. Uh, And he and I connected on that level as well. You'll hear why as the interview progresses. So I'm excited to bring that to you. Well, it happened. It was bound to happen. It was inevitable. I was waiting for it. And it finally did happen today. I was nominated for the ALS Ice Bucket Challenge. Now, if for some reason you are unfamiliar with the ALS Ice Bucket Challenge, it is essentially this. You are nominated, and you have 24 hours. Within those 24 hours, you either must dump a bucket of ice water on your head or donate money to ALSA, that is the association that is doing some great work to help defeat the disease ALS, or as it's uh, more commonly known in parts, uh, Lou Gehrig's disease. Um, And uh, so far, amazingly, this campaign has managed to raise millions and millions of dollars just for the silly notion of dumping ice buckets of water on people's heads. And as of today, the latest from ALSA is that they have raised $88.5 million through people doing the Ice Bucket Challenge. Now, at its heart, I love the idea that people have been donating tons and tons and tons and tons of money to help fight a major disease. And without that kind of money, organizations like ALSA cannot do what they do. 
they do amazing research and outreach and 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 their design is to cure the world of this disease which is for people who are afflicted with it just a terrible ordeal and nobody should have to go through that and in my mind anything that brings attention to and sends money to help with programs like what the ALSA is doing I am completely and utterly all for but if you've known me for any length of time you know that the last person on earth who is likely to do something that everybody does that person is probably me I have a hard time doing something that has become viral I never uh, I've never macarinaed I have never planked I didn't do a Harlem shake and 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 this one kind of kind of kind of kind of stuck me again I do not fault anybody for being involved in raising money for a cause like the uh, ALS I'm all for it but on the other hand, if everybody's walking down the street heading west wearing blue shirts, I will walk in the other direction wearing a red shirt. That's just how I'm built. That's in my DNA, and, and, and I can't help that. But at the same time, I do want to help create awareness, and I do want to help raise money for ALS uh, research and 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 the battle against that disease. So what do I do? Well, my sister Jen, who I mentioned last week, nominated me. She posted her video of her dumping water on her head on Facebook and tagged me. She tagged me. She tagged my wife and somebody who I've never heard before, uh, heard of before, but I'm sure a very nice person nonetheless. And now I have 24 hours to figure out what to do. But I think I'm going to handle it like this. I'm not going to tag anybody. In fact, I am going to engage in the ice bucket challenge. But I'm going to do it in my own way. And I'm going to record it tomorrow. And I'm going to post it. I'll post it on um, my website. Uh, I will post it on uh, bringyourownlunch.com. I'll post it on Facebook. And I will post it uh, on Twitter. And you can see what I do. And if you are like me, if you are one of those people who do appreciate the idea of raising money for good causes, because look at what science is doing for us. Look at what science is capable of. I was just doing a little bit of a quick cursory search. And, and, and in this summer alone, in Japan, they have begun the process of creating eyeballs, eyeballs, using stem cells from scratch in hopes that soon enough they will be able to donate those eyeballs to people who don't have them. And without that kind of money behind that effort, you cannot get eyeballs made from scratch. And in Scotland, this news was uh, posted today um, by the Huffington Post. Researchers in Scotland, they've created a fully functional organ from scratch inside the body of a living animal. That means that somehow, some way, in the very near future, relatively speaking, somebody who needs a new kidney can have it harvested from somebody because that kidney was generated within some living animal's body. And they're able to do this stuff. And it is amazing. But we need the money to do it. 
So if you're like me and you do like the idea of raising money for good causes, but you have a hard time engaging in something like the Ice Bucket Challenge and you don't want to post a video of yourself dumping ice water on your head, well, I'm able to, I may be able to help you out. I'm not going to tell you what. So if you're hearing this, go to bringyourownlunch.com uh, starting on Wednesday of this week that this uh, podcast is being released, and you'll see how you can... Uh, jump on to what, what I'm doing. And I certainly will be making a donation to ALSA, and I encourage you to do the same. And I do appreciate everybody who has dumped water on their heads and donated money, because that's really what it is. And, and, and the awareness campaign has been amazing. I mean, this thing is just viral beyond belief. And I think what's happened uh, to to bring recognition and and knowledge about ALSA has been fantastic. So uh, I think all of it has been positive. There have been some people who have posted videos of themselves donating money without the water, and I think that's great. I, I, I'm not particularly uh, uh, on board with people who criticize people who have been doing this uh, in the name of giving money, but I am also on board with people who have... <laughs> Uh, criticized others for just dumping uh, ice water on their heads, but forgetting to mention anything about ALS or donating money. And it's really just about them dumping ice water on their heads. So uh, for the people who have donated, for the people who have uh, helped bring awareness to ALS, say, and, and, and the fight against that disease, I, I give you all the credit in the world. And to all those who uh, haven't jumped on board yet, Join me. I, I may have your solution, and and we we will do this all together because because a, a rising tide lifts all boats. So if we're all on board, then then we're all going to be okay, by and large, at some point. Want to make sure, of course, we thank some people who are always part of this show, uh, particularly Banuba Banuba dot net. They're the folks that provide the music at the beginning, middle, and end of this show, and they are terrific. Please visit them at banuba.net. That's B-A-N-O-O-B-A.net. Uh, you'll find out where they are playing live, and you can download some of their music and uh, find out uh, their uh, Facebook and, and, and Twitter and all that good stuff. Last night, uh, at least last night, if you are listening to this on Tuesday, I'm recording this on Tuesday, and last night we had the New York Short Film Shootout number two at Treehouse Theater in New York City. Uh, that was our second event, and we had a great lineup of six films. We had a uh, fantastic time. Um, there was a very unusual film that was a music video for the band Afterbirth Monkey. And uh, the, the, actually, it was Afterbirth Monkey featuring Schaefer the Dark Lord, which I thought was fascinating because Schaefer and Dark Lord, well, they, they don't seem to, to, to agree with one another. But apparently he's a nerdcore rapper, and, and when, you, when you're nerdcore, I guess uh, you can be Schaefer and a Dark Lord. But it's kind of like Sheldon the Devil, something like that. Anyway, this video, directed by Eric Ford for Afterbirth Monkey, featuring Schaefer the Dark Lord, that was our winner. It was the video for the song, It's Raining Dicks. It's not as bad as you think. It's worse. Anyway, no, we had a great time. That was a, a fun video. And uh, to everybody who's uh, submitted their films to the New York Short Film Shootout number two, we appreciate it. And thank you very much. We are going to have another event in September. We're negotiating for the date. So stay tuned on that. And you can find out all the information you need to uh, get, in, uh, get, get, get in with us. NYSFO, uh, I did it again, NYSFSO.com. That's the acronym for New York Short Film Shootout.com. 
And that's where you can find out how you can be involved in the next New York short film shootout, the New York short film shootout number three. I also want to make sure I thank uh, my co-producer, co-founder of that event, Vinny Petrosini, who does an amazing job. And I probably haven't thanked enough when I've been announcing this thing over the past several weeks. And as we move forward, I want to make sure that he gets his just due because he is, uh, you know, it's it's a 50-50 split and, and there's no way that thing happens without uh, his effort. And I want to make sure he is recognized for it. Also, just check out the, the TreehouseTheaterNYC.com. That's the venue where the New York Short Film Shootout was held last night, and we always thank them for their help in getting this uh, show on the road. Speaking of getting the show on the road, let's get to my interview with Rob King. Good guy. Interesting stuff. Enjoy. Have you gotten hit by as many mosquitoes as I have this summer? Last night alone, I thought I was going to die. <laughs> I was, we were, I was barbecuing with my girlfriend, and uh, I was like, it was like a really nice night, and mm-hmm. we were having a great time, but I was like, mm, this has to stop, because I'm... Because you're getting I'm, killed. I'm just destroyed. My legs are done. Yeah. yeah. Where was this? Jersey City. Uh, and that's where I think all of the bugs have decided to live. Jersey is a terrible place. New Jersey? It's, it's Parts of it are nice. Listen, I'm from Jersey. I love it. <laughs> no, I'm just... I, oh, yeah. it's, it can be rough in areas. Let's put it that way. Yeah, I always... I'm like, it's... I'm from there. I can say it. It's like saying a lot of bad words. You know, you're like, that's our word. We yeah. can we can make fun of Jersey. <laughs> that's like that's the joy of being Jewish, or at right. least part Jewish. You can make all the Jewish jokes you want, and if anybody raises uh, a complaint about it, you just say, no, no, no. I'm, my dad was Jewish. Yeah. And they're like, oh, oh, okay, okay all okay. right. Well, then it was very funny. Good joke. Yes, yeah. 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 So uh, we're actually starting. Um, okay. Yeah. This is this is the start. Uh, we're right in, in, informal as we go. But Rob King, uh, you you are uh, unique in many ways, and we'll get into it. But uh, your name is so straightforward, and it's like a perfect showbiz name. Is that is that is was that chosen, or was that granted upon you? It was it was granted upon me. Um, quite lucky in in that way. Uh, yeah, my, a lot of people think it, it was kind of picked out by me, but it, it's my. God given name. It's it's it. You know, as somebody who doesn't have a a, a show busy name, unless you're Chekhov from Star Trek, you, I just you know, it's I I hear people like that. And I'm like, you you cheated. You know, you 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 get away with having a name already. That's not fair. I listen. If it'll make you feel better, I will I will change it tonight. You know, what's uh, ironic though. My last name is the same as yours uh, in German. Is that right? Yeah. Yeah. So somewhere along the line, we're probably brothers. I, I look at you a lot, and I'm like, yeah. is he? Yeah, I think I think somewhere along the line, our our paths cross that, genetically. That makes sense. I feel I feel better now. <laughs> I feel like uh, this is going to work out for me. Are you a big barbecuer? Is that? Yeah, when I can be, you know, um, I haven't barbecued in a long time because I'm living in an apartment in New York, and I doesn't do, afford a lot of opportunities. Yeah, no, so yeah. I go to a, a park somewhere. Um, which is really nice, but I just don't do that. But my girlfriend lives in Jersey City, and uh, every time I can get over there to barbecue, I'm like, yeah, let's do yeah, it. Yeah, let's do a barbecue. Yeah, it's What's, nice. What did you guys make? Oh, we had a steak on there. Nice. Yeah, there you go. See, and marinated it for a little while, rubbed it down. We nice. put some shrimp on a skewer, some uh, some vegetables she cut up. She's an amazing cook. Uh, uh-huh. I basically yeah. just took the meat and put it on there and kept flipping it and like grunting at her. That's, like, a, that's a good job, man. I, I did my job. Yeah, that's a good job. job. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so let's 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 get to your beginning. You 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 are from New Jersey. 
I am originally from New Jersey. Um, uh, I, Central New Jersey, East Brunswick, right near Rutgers. Um, yeah, uh, I acted when I was a, a little kid. Actually, that's what. See, that's where that's where we definitely want to like start. What, what? Tell me about your childhood acting stuff. Yeah, the, uh, not a whole lot. I think my mom just um, put me into acting and, and modeling when I was young, just because she she was like, he needs an outlet. He he makes faces. He yeah. he acts up in school. Let's let's put him in front of a camera, kind of thing. Um, and uh, I you know did that for about two years. It was like getting out of school early. It was really cool. To my mom to drag me to New York to, for casting. How and how were you when you did this? How old? Yeah, it was probably ten. Around so there. It's like fifth-ish grade, something like that? Yeah, that sounds right. Yeah, we, it's, it's weird. We had the same last name, and we pretty much did the same thing. Really? But from I, I came from the opposite side of New York City. So, That's crazy. Yeah, I th- I'm a little bit older than you, so it's not that, you know, we're, we're, we're not carbon copies of one another. So we're let's pretty much straight. twins. Let's Fine, we're twins. Okay. All right. We're going with uh, twins. Uh, we are the Danny DeVito. We, <laughs> That's, right. Twins. That's right. With a mother who absolutely hates both of us because she went through a probably seven or eight year uh, uh, maternity. What do we call that when you have, finally have the baby? I have two children and I don't know what it's called when you actually have the baby. Birth? Birthing. but Birthing process. Yeah. So she started with me and then eight years later came you. That's a lot of time in the hospital. You know what? But... It, it's worth it. Well worth the wait. Uh, look at what we get from it. Yeah. The joy of brotherhood. And this podcast. <laughs> so, <laughs> so, 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 um, how, how, uh, how often would you go in when you went in? I think it was about once a week. Once um, a week? Yeah, I think so. Did you have an agent? Did you have an agency? I, I or? did. Um, and I, th- I found out later on that it wasn't a, a really good agency. Um, <laughs> uh, you know, now I look back and they're still around. Oh, um, they are. Okay, they so are you wouldn't want to really yeah, badmouth who they yeah. are. But um, screw those guys. They didn't get any jobs. Actually, they, they <laughs> yeah. did. I shouldn't say anything. Um, yeah, we didn't. We didn't know anything. And like it, it petered out after about two, three years mm-hmm. of that. You know, there was some cool like print ads, and all my friends were impressed, and <laughs> um, some regional like commercials and stuff like that. But it, you know, it wasn't anything like my my college wasn't paid for because right, of right, my, yeah. my child modeling gigs. Yes, that's exactly how it was for me. I mean, I had, I had a, I, I, I did a couple print ads. Mm-hmm. I, I did background work on a CBS TV movie. Nice. And I, I was on the cover of a book called Onion John. That was my claim to fame. That's you. You're yeah. okay. I am the Onion John kid. I think if you go to Amazon, you can still find a copy of the, <laughs> the book Onion John where I'm, I want to get that book and have you sign it for me. I will. Yeah. I, 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 anybody who wants a copy of Onion John, <laughs> just buy your own, send it to me, self-addressed stamped envelope. I will send it back. There you go. Okay. Yeah. All right. So, what? What? I mean, what was the biggest thing you booked back then? Um, I, I think it was like a bunch of print ads for. Um, Kids are us. I think it was. Oh, that's pretty good. I still had the portfolio somewhere. Nice. Like, I. I used to bring it out for the you know girlfriends and just like sure. really impress them with like, hey, you want to see me in footy pajamas when I was ten? <laughs> you know, I was a big star. Kids R Us was a big deal back then too. Yeah, like they, they, it was it was like top of the line. Yeah, if you were a kid model, that you got the Kids R Us job. Yeah, that's a big deal. Yeah, it was I was a big deal at ten. I don't want to break. <laughs> I was it was a big big deal. And <laughs> do you remember? Do you remember any of the experiences of going to audition or go sees or whatever? I remember, one stands out so much. Um, the sh- the shoots were great. Like the you know when I was um, 
when I was looking at the print ads, I loved it. Um, it was, it was a big fun, you know, play around for me, but the, um, like the go and, uh, like real auditions for on camera stuff. I was terrible at, I just had no experience and I wanted to be so mature and, you know, and I wanted to like prove that I could like that, you know, I could get a job and I could have it be a real actor and all this stuff. And I thought I was so serious. And I remember going in for one audition and it was just, I think it was just like a, a go see with a casting director talking about a certain project. And, um, and it was a comedy and she's sitting there asking me questions and I can remember just trying to be as serious as possible with my answers. And it, it was just, she was probably like, no, this is, this is the wrong kid. Like he's not right for this. He's way too serious. He's very, he's very dramatic. You if know? they need a 10 year old accountant, they know who to call. <laughs> right, right. Right. Just the facts. You, um, was there anybody around back then? Cause I, I don't remember any of the casting directors. I don't remember any of the, uh, production companies I might've worked with. I don't really much remember anything. Yeah. Yeah. You don't remember anybody from back then? No. I was curious if like somebody like who we may have run into back then was still in the business now. Sure. I mean, there's, there's gotta be, um, but I, we, I have no idea. Really all it was for me was after we were done doing whatever we had to do, some of it was fun. Most of it was not. I just wanted to get a pretzel, a New York pretzel on the way home. That's Absolutely. all I cared about. Yeah. <laughs> it's so funny how like, no matter, you could be from uh, you know Long Island or New Jersey and have the same exact experience. Yeah. Um, so back at home though, were you doing anything like that or, or like what, what told you, well, obviously your parents said that you were, uh, your mom said that you were making faces and stuff like that. So that was an outlet, but did you have a local outlet for that stuff? I mean, I'm sure there was, um, but I, I, I was not really involved in theater or anything like that. I was big into sports all okay. growing up and that's kind of, it, I reached a point where, um, it was you know, sports was so big that my football friends were just like, what, what are you, what are you doing? Oh, don't hit his face. You know, um, <laughs> he's, he's too pretty. He's not, you know, like, so I was just like, well, screw this. I don't want to get, you know, made fun of anymore. I'm just going to play football, like whatever. And, and so did you just drop the acting stuff? Yeah. And I think my, my mom got tired of taking me in there. We didn't know what we were doing. You know, it was like how, how you can't just be a cute kid, you know, like it's yeah. a business and, and we, yeah, and we didn't back, belong. And you knew the ones you, like the, you knew the other kids who knew what was going on, right? Yeah. You oh. knew the ones who were like the, you, we, we as adults would probably be, think they were horrible kids, sure, but they knew what they were doing and they were like intimidating when they we were young. Yeah. It was a different level. And I mean, you had the stage moms and everything that, it just was not us. At no, all. no, no. Same here. And it's it's funny how that works. So when did you when did you start gravitating back towards it? When I was twenty two. Um, okay. After college, uh, I was working a job, which is a regular nine to five like sales job, and I hated it. And I was just twenty two, twenty three, and I was just I was depressed. It was like re it was bad. Mm -hmm. um, and uh, I would go to work every day. Maybe go to the gym afterwards, and and then go get a six pack and go home. Oh, and geez. it was it was it was bad. It was that bad. I, I was it was yeah. Where were you at the time? Like I was living, living in uh, Rawway. Rawway, yeah. So it's there's a lot going on Rawway for a 22 year old Rob King. I'm sure. <laughs> oh yeah, was, yeah, yeah. Um, and the funny thing was, like, I was sitting there one night and just trying to figure out like what I wanted to do, and I knew it wasn't this job, whatever. And I was watching MTV, and they had the show called Made. Uh -huh. um, if you remember that yeah, show, yeah. yeah. And um, this girl wanted to be a comedian or something like that. And they had her doing, uh, taking improv lessons okay. um, from a group called Comedy Sports 
in, uh, with the Z, right? With the Z, yeah, yeah okay. absolutely. Um, in, in Minneapolis, I think it's. Was, I think they're pretty big up there. Yeah, they're they're yeah they have a they're all over the world. They've, yeah, that was where she was, and I was watching the show, and you know, I'm into my six pack, and I'm like watching <laughs> this girl, and she was she was she was very good. Um, but I'm like, man, I I could do that. Like that that looks fun. I could do that. Yeah, know? isn't that so, sort of like the worst feeling until you decide to do something about it, where you're looking at people doing the thing you want to do, and you're denying yourself that thing. Yeah. And you're like mad at that person for actually doing it. And yeah. you're like, how come she gets to do it? Right. And then like at some point you have that realization that, oh, oh I guess, I guess everybody who's walking this earth has the ability to kind of just say, I'm going to do that now. Yeah. But it's like that moment where you have that, re- oh, that's like the, the, that's the biggest anger I think I know is when I'm not doing the thing I want to do, but I misplace that anger and direct it at somebody completely removed from me. Yeah. Yeah. You're just mad at yourself for not doing it. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. What did you go to school for? Uh, I went to school for business, basically. Okay. And, well, started with criminal justice and ended up being for business, but it was just, I went to school for football. I didn't really know. Where, where'd you go? King's College. Okay. Pennsylvania. All right. I, yeah, I, I had no idea. What, I just wanted to play football more, and that was it. Did you ever have any prospects of going anywhere? What, what division was? Division three, but they were a good school. They had yeah. a good team, yeah. And did you ever, like, have any kind of aspirations of turning pro, or was that? I was, I'm still waiting for the growth spurt. Um <laughs> <laughs> you know, when, you when that kicks in, Megat, when yeah, come on, <laughs> for sure. I, I was not that talented. <laughs> no, so, but you, but that was, that was what you were there to do. You were there to play football. Yeah, I, it was. Yeah, absolutely. And I mean, I was, uh, it, it was fun. I really enjoyed it, but no, I wasn't going anywhere for my athletic ability. This is why I think uh, for a lot of people, the, the, the ages that they set for you to learn. Now, I've learned a lot from my kids and I know that there are certain developmental stages where it's like they are absorbing all the important stuff, like how to talk and how to write and how to read and, and all that stuff. But after a certain point, it's like some kids just need to go work. You yeah. know, they need to be like plowing the field and then they can get all the, like the crazy energy out so they can focus on school and then they just kind of like walk through it. Yeah. It's like not everybody fits that same timeline, you know? Oh yeah. So I think you're in a good example of where it's like, you just wanted to get out the energy and be in a football team and all that stuff. Yeah. I, I just didn't, I was, 17, 18 years old, I had no idea really what I wanted to do. Right. You know, I remember every time I'd meet with uh, like a guidance counselor, I couldn't take it seriously. I was just sarcastic the whole time. <laughs> you know, like I don't think I ever gave him like one real answer of what I want to do with my life. Because right. Because you didn't know. I'm 17 years old. At I, 17 years old, I mean, despite what TV will make you uh, believe, 17 year olds don't know anything. Yeah, you're an idiot. You're an yeah, idiot. You're a complete idiot. <laughs> yeah. Your relationships mean nothing. Yeah. And your direction in life is probably going to change a thousand times before you turn 30. Yeah. Why do we put so much pressure on kids who are 17? Yeah. It's insanity. The only person that has ever figured it out is my little sister, who at 17 knew she wanted to be a teacher and knew who she wanted to marry. And she's 26 now. And is a teacher, a great teacher down in Maryland, and she's happily married to th- that guy, and she she figured it out. Well, good for the, but yeah. good for her. But that's probably the exception. She's, yeah, definitely absolutely. not the yeah, rule. Absolutely, man. Yeah, because I, I, I had no idea. <laughs> yeah, no, neither did I. I mean, I, I know. I, I will say this: back in the, in the back of my mind, I knew what I wanted to do, but I didn't think I could because. You know, like you, you with the growth spurt never happening for football. I was like, I'm, the Tom Cruise spurt never happened for me. Yeah. Where it's like, I, I, I looked like this when I was 18. Come on. <laughs> so it's like, yeah, you're not exactly pushed into the business at that point. You know, they don't go recruiting 18 year olds who look like uh, me. 
So if you're listening to this, he looks like Fabio. As long, long, and that's just like that's my crutch. Yeah, you know, I mean that's my cross to bear. Yeah, you know. Yeah. So Poor that's bastard. the hair shirt for me. <laughs> no. <laughs> so, so so yeah, the, the idea of sixty is seventeen year olds or eighteen year olds, even twenty year olds. I didn't know what I wanted to do. At yeah. I was I was completely mystified, mm-hmm. and it took a long winding path to get back to. You found it back at twenty two. But it took me a lot longer. So, so at 22, what happened uh, after you got over your depression? Uh, well, I, I after that that episode, I went and emailed the company. And, and it was funny out. when you say that episode. If someone were listening right here, you're like, oh, that must have been a very serious mental breakdown. You're talking about an episode oh, right. of MTV's <laughs> Made. <laughs> yes, <laughs> it's the episode of Made. It's, it's still uh, very serious as well. Yes, but. Yes. Um, yeah, no, uh, after that episode of MTV's Made, um, <laughs> I went and uh, I, I searched the company and found they had a, a, a chapter in um, New York. Okay. And so I emailed them and I was like, I, you know, I think I can do this, blah, blah, blah. No response. A few months later, I was like, they were on my mind still, you know. So I emailed them again and they were like, come to a show. So I went to a show. I saw it, you know, and I'm 22, thinking I'm hot stuff. Yeah, of course. I'm witty. I'm quick, you know. I could do improv. I um, could do improvs. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so uh, after the show, I was like, I want to do this. I think I can do it. They were like, all right, we'll come, you know, audition. And I auditioned, and, and they were like, yes, you have very, a lot of natural talent, but you need to learn. So they let me, you know, rehearse with them, work out with them. It was wow. really great. Amazing improvisers. Did they, the- did they charge you? No. No, they let that's me into the almost company. unheard of now. It, it was, I, it was great. They're amazingly talented people. Um, I um, learned from some really great people. Yeah. Wow. Who? Who was there? Anybody who um, anybody would recognize, or is it just like sort of the the, the that's short form improv? And yeah. If you're not familiar with uh, the differences, short form improv is what you might see on Whose Lines Anyway. Exactly. Long form would be something that you'd see at Upright Citizens Brigade or or if, if you watch a, a lot of comedy movies, they're essentially long form mm-hmm. improv. Uh, so they're, the, the games are what you're talking about and that's what you learn yeah. at comedy sports. So w- was there anybody involved in that who has gone on or had already been any kind of uh, done any done anything significant in the business? Um. What you a lot of the people that I worked with are doing in commercials all over the place. Okay, yeah. Um, Rory Scholl, okay. uh, Susan Pasquantonio is in a commercial pretty much every every other month. I see her in something new. Okay. Um, but um, yeah, and a lot of a lot of theater. Mm-hmm. What, what was great about them was that uh, they all had great theatrical training, and so you know, with improv, one of the biggest tools is reference points, and mm-hmm. and they were able to just feed me with this tremendous knowledge of, of, you know, referential things. And, uh, mm-hmm. and so that, that helped me a lot. They taught me the, the, the foundation, the fundamentals of, of improv, yeah. um, you know, beyond just the games and the, the fun of it. Right. It's like when you learn the, you learn the rules of the game, but actually how to uh, function within those rules yeah. is two different Absolutely. things completely. Absolutely. Um, uh, and, and and the idea of, of just being spontaneously funny and things coming to the mind there there's there's certain things you can learn how to do to 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 make your mind primed for for coming up with funny stuff on Absolutely. the spot uh, what what were some of the stuff that you learned that was that was the biggest like, aha thing for you um i mean the one of the one of the biggest and, and i use this a lot is um is 
A to, a to seeing things, basically. You know, if, if this is true, then what else is true? Mm. Um, you know, just a lot of people will go A to B, you know, and you, I'm trying to think of an example being on the spot. Well, if we're doing an um, improv scene, let's say, so, so let's start the scene. Like, okay, okay so bamboo is our, is our suggestion. Right. So, like, let, let's, let's break that down. So, so as we go, we'll, we'll, we'll try to pinpoint what we're trying to say. Here. Okay. So w- well, one of the big things that we do, <laughs> this is, is the worst scene ever. No, 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 no. I'm just, before we get into it, like, okay. one of the big things we do, um, like just to warm up would be, uh, I think it was called who, what, where maybe or something like that. Mm-hmm. And it was in three lines getting out, you know, the who of the, of it, the where of it. And then the biggest thing would be the what of the scene. So, you know what you're talking about. You right. Know? And right. I might, I might, if I want to initiate a scene, just be like, Look, Dave, I'm just going to tell you one more time before you get on this train. I realize you love bamboo, but that does not mean you're going to be a panda and you cannot go to Japan. Well, since I'm already in China, I don't see why you might want to stop me from going to Japan. Given the fact that we're brothers, I want you to come with me. See, now we've established, right? Yeah. Is that what we're talking about? Yeah, exactly. Okay. Yeah, just like that. The who, what, where. So we, now we we know basically everything we didn't know. We know where we are. Right. Which interesting who we to, are to each other. Right. Yeah. Right. Now, throughout the years, what year was that when you got involved in the company sports? That was two thousand six. Two thousand six. So yeah. so it was still around the time where things were sort of completely transitioning to the point where long form improv was the thing universally. Yeah. Um, and again, we're talking short form versus long form. When I came up and I learned improv, it was all short form. That's all anybody did. Short form, short form, game, yeah. game after game after game after game after game. And then when I started to get back into improv, I had to learn that this long form thing was t- kind of taking over. And as, as a teacher, as a coach, as whatever of long form improv, one of the biggest things I notice all the time is that people forget to, to do those very basic things you just said, which is set the location, figure out what the relationship is and who each other is, and then tell us what this scene is about. It's funny how like that basic premise from short form gets miss is, is so often missed in long form scenes. And I think they need to kind of like merge the two when they teach to remind people and pound it into them that your audience isn't going to know what's going on. If you don't tell them, X, Y, Z. Yeah. Or sure. ABC. It's, you, you know, and it's just a challenge of um, how to get that exposition out there. Yeah, that's, yeah. that's the biggest challenge. And, and it, it is exposition. Yeah. I mean, maybe the, like the, it's the easiest way to say it is like you have to set the stage for people or else they don't know what the hell's going on. Yeah. And then you'll lose them. And then it's like seven minutes of silence as you try to fump for your way through a long scene. <laughs> right. It's Which just the worst. It can be brutal. Oh, it's the absolute worst. Yeah. No matter what improv you're doing, when you like hit your, you you think you've hit that big line, and there's crickets. Yeah, there's no worse feeling in the world. Oh yeah, because it's not just like, and because you're looking for help from other people on stage, and like improv is supposed to be where it's like you have the benefit of being on stage with a bunch of people, but that second the crickets hit, all seven people, let's say, just freeze with the same look on their face, like, yeah. what the hell do we do now? Yeah, that one of the, one of the. Um Big things I remember from from comedy sports, and this is carried over to other groups that I've been in. Um, and you know, I, I've been really fortunate to with, especially with long form, with a, with a lot of groups that I've been in. They have just gelled so much, mm. and you step on stage and you know someone has your back, and yeah. that, that's a huge thing. But that was one of the things they, they called it stepping on the grenade with comedy sports, and it was like, look, someone sometimes 
you know, if you're doing some kind of game and no one has any ideas, no one has anything to say, Mm -hmm. sometimes you just got to step out there and just trust that you'll say something and that you'll, that someone else will come up and get your back and say something in response to that, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Um, and a lot of times you'll step out and that first person will say something and it's just, it has, makes no sense at all. Right. And you feel like, oh, I just blew it. But then someone else will come up. Yeah. And, and. Take the, it the art of justifying each other's moves yeah. is like so one of the beauties of improv is like if you just put it out there and somebody else is like yes and, and that's where that yes and comes from it's yeah. like yes and uh, we're on a rocket ship and yeah. then you're off and running you know that's that's the beauty of it. Um, it at the people's improv theater where I took a lot of classes um, one of the phrases that I remember seeing or hearing was uh, bluff bluff justify okay. and it's true if you get stuck and this is good for anybody if you get stuck uh, needing to finish a sentence, just keep bluffing until you figure it out, and then justify the old, the thing you just been kind of like rambling on about. You know, yeah. It's like it's like being a, it's like being in college and having to do an oral uh, report. Like there was one time I made I did an oral report about the BBC, and I absolutely had nothing. Like I had <laughs> nothing. I didn't know, and I and I turned it into a fifteen minute thing somehow. Amazing. Amazing, and I don't even remember a word of it. You just started. You started, and, and you know, one thing led to another, led to <laughs> another, and eventually people were just clapping. They're yeah, clapping. yeah, and that's that's improv. <laughs> yeah, pretty, and, pretty much, pretty and much. Then, and then they turned off the lights, and it was over. Yeah, yeah, that was good. It was a good time. Drunk. Yeah. All right, yeah, exactly. So, how long were you working with Comedy Sports specifically? I was with them for a little over two years. And what it, what had happened was after about two three months of it, I realized like I would be working nine to five in Jersey, and then Saturday and Sunday I'd be doing shows, you mm. know, two three shows a weekend, and then, and then going back home on the Jersey Transit and just hating my life Monday morning. That's so rough. Yeah. After about three months, finally I just couldn't do it anymore. I woke up on Monday, and I I, I was like I can't. I'm not going to work. And then wow, Monday came. Man. Tuesday came, my boss was calling me, calling me, calling me. <laughs> you didn't actually tell them you weren't I was, coming. I was just so – I was like, I know what I want to do now, yeah. but I don't know how to do it. You had that it's epiphany, kind of, but no, like, capability of, like, expressing that. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Finally, Tuesday came, and I was like, I have to do something, you know. So I called, and I was just like, hey, Pat, um, yeah, I don't, I don't like working there, <laughs> so I'm not going to do it anymore. <laughs> Pat was a jerk. I was he was such a jerk. What kind of what kind of company was this? It was um corporate recruiting. It, oh, it was just people man. on the phone being, you know, balls to the wall like all arrogant. Oh, um I I could never. I would oh, I would last I would last until lunch at best I, the first day. I, the only thing I liked about it was that I got to act. I got to act oh, like, okay. you know, I was this character whatever people would come in I had, I got to act like I knew what I was talking about, you know, nice. it was all, but it but I hated it. I mean, it, it was probably soul crushing. It was soul crushing. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And so uh I, I quit there on the spot and uh, I took you know, the little savings that I had and I went to uh, bartending school for a week. And then the next wow. week I came to New York, started started looking for jobs and, you know, found a job bartending. And then I moved to New York like a few months later. Wow. Yeah. To see, that's very inspirational for a lot of people, I'm sure, if they, if they heard that. Because I'm sure there's a lot of people, whether it's acting or something completely different, living your life just to... to grab a paycheck at the expense of like your soul. Yeah. It's just the worst. It's the worst. And some people have to do it. I mean, and I, and I, uh, have ultimate respect for people who sure like sacrifice for the benefit of others. But if like you were a single guy at 22, that's it. Why were you doing that to yourself? Yeah. I, 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 uh, 
it's always been like, you know, I've always, I've always thought about <clears throat> the future and um, family and all that. And, and I was like, before I quit, I was like, you know, I have to get a paycheck and I want to provide for my family someday. And then after I got to that low point, I was like, I don't want to have a family and then be depressed around them all the time because exactly. I'm not doing what I love. Yeah. yeah. And so, I, you know, I was fortunate enough to be young, young enough to kind of hit that reset button and yeah, yeah you're, you're very fortunate to have figured that out so early uh, because there's obviously there's a lot of people who have that realization when they're 52 and and yeah. not that they couldn't start then I mean sure. there's ne- it's never too late to start but all those years of of not following that thing that really truly drives them is is you know I feel bad yeah you know? and I feel fortunate that I've been able to pursue something that I or several things that I really like doing so. yeah um, all right, so so you so you landed in New York City. Uh, where where'd you where where did you end up living? First apartment was in uh, Park Slope. Okay, and then after about a year, I realized I can't afford to live here anymore. That was pretty much when it was starting to well, yeah, nowadays the, the, the baby strollers it. and yeah. sure. Um, so then I moved up to uh, Harlem and been up here for uh, eight eight years now. Do, was it was it before or after? Because it, nowadays it's like I try to think about like timelines and forget it. It just doesn't make any sense. But there was a time when Harlem, you know, like even going back to like different strokes, you know, you, Harlem was like, oh, you might as well just be going straight to hell <laughs> in the way it was perceived and yeah. the way it was presented and, and in certain ways and the way it actually was. But throughout the years, it either I have grown uh, more confident and able to like look past all the the hype and or it's just become a much nicer gentler part of town but how was it when you got here and, and has it gotten different since you moved it's i mean continuing to get different um they're always improving harlem i mean they're they're expanding city college they're expanding columbia mm. i mean there's a lot of european money getting funneled in now yeah. um so it's definitely changing but I've been here eight years and it, it was, it was great. I mean, I'm fortunate enough to live in a building that people have been in, they've grown up in. Oh, that's um, cool. Yeah. Yeah. It, it's a bunch of families. Everyone's really nice. I, you know, I, my neighbors are super supportive when, when I have a show, they're always like, when's your next show? You know, that's awesome. They're, it's, it's really cool. Um, I'm not that close with my neighbors <laughs> in suburbia. So it's like to have that is pretty sweet. It's yeah. It's a really, it's a really cool thing. Um, but yeah, People have been living in this neighborhood for a long time, um, and so I, I feel really safe. You know, you see a lot of the same faces, not a lot of people moving in and out like in a lot of other neighborhoods. Yeah, that, that um, makes a difference, and yeah. I think I think that's what probably is unappreciated um, about parts of the city is that if people do live there and they don't hike the prices too much to force people out, you do have a community, yeah. even though it's in big buildings and they're like you do see familiar faces and. Everybody's kind of looking out to make sure their community is stays safe and it's stays okay. the same. Yeah, yeah absolutely. Yeah. It's really cool. Yeah. Oh, cool. So, so, so you got to New York City, uh, and you were still with New York, uh, Comedy Sports. I was. Um, yeah, I was with them for about a year and a half after I moved. And and what, when you first moved, uh, you thought, well, obviously we're doing shows on the weekend, but it's not exactly you know, uh, it's not necessarily in and of itself going to create a career for you. So, sure. so what was your goal? What, what did you think was possible for you at that point? Um, I, <clears throat> excuse me. I knew I wanted to start acting. Um, 
some drag racers out yeah, there. Yeah, really? Wow. Um, this is the safe neighborhood that Rob was talking about. embarrassing, <laughs> <you> neighbors. <laughs> we have guests. What was I saying? So you were... You, what, before, what, what were what were your what were your um, goals or what what at the time you started to say okay I'm going to do this what was this I guess was a better way to put it, it I mean it, it was acting but it was really just I I knew I wanted to be on stage I I knew I wanted to figure out what there was out there there was a lot of those that drove me um, because I I felt like I had was starting later than a lot of people like mm-hmm. I, I didn't go to school for acting yeah, you know like, yeah um, and you know you'd hear young, like people talking about it. Uh, at the job, you, the restaurant you worked at, you know, what I mean? um, you know, and, and you, I just tried to listen to everything that was out there, um, people and just do whatever job I could. And I ended up, uh, oddly enough, uh, someone, a girl in comedy sports, um, I knew her for about a few months and she was like, Oh, you, you fit this description of what we're looking for in this play. It's actually going off Broadway. And I went and auditioned and, you know, I and I got that job before I even moved to New York. So I was in a play that was running off Broadway, um, along with comedy sports. So I didn't have to work as much, you know, behind the bar right That's away. That's pretty good. I mean, did the comedy sports pay? No. Oh, okay. It, it, yeah, right. if they did like um, away away gigs or something like that. Okay. Like, yeah. You know, so you like, yeah you get fifty bucks maybe. But the off Broadway thing was that that was uh, equity. So it was a union gig. It was yeah. And then they got me into like uh, Tony and Tina's wedding, and and I started just doing a bunch of like interactive plays to okay. kind of get kind of. So I kind of combined like improv and and acting, and then I mean obviously I started taking acting classes at T Schreiber Studios mm-hmm. right when I landed, um, and taking some scene study courses, and you know mm-hmm. figuring things out, but. What was the play that you got when you first came to town? Uh, it was called The Fantasy Party. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, it ran for about a year and a half. Uh, Were you with it the whole time? Um, yeah, I, I tried to quit. <laughs> I, tr- I, didn't, I didn't know what I was doing. I mean, yeah. I, you know, I, I, was, I was just like, this isn't challenging me anymore. I didn't, you know, I was reading a lot of books. <laughs> you know, I was reading a There's lot of, your mistake, yeah, Rob. Yeah, I that's... was reading a lot of books. Um, and, uh, you know, just trying to figure out what my place was and, and who I wanted to be. And um, so, yeah, but a, a year and a half and I was with them the whole time pretty much. Wow. Well, uh, when, um, <clears throat> when you were with the show, was it, was it, was it like a full schedule or was it, no, it was, did it run? Uh, it ran a few times a week. Okay. Yeah. So, you know, uh, three times a week and then I bartend, you know, work in a restaurant. So between the two of those you had, you had enough to, to keep, you know, yeah. taking classes and all that stuff, which is which is part of the challenge, you know, for a lot of people is just having enough to live and then eat and then take classes. And probably in that order is like the priority for a lot of people. Yeah. And it's hard to do. Uh, yeah. And I, I I just wanted to do anything, um, it, whatever show I could get in, you know, a small little fringe festival show mm-hmm. or uh, off, off Broadway, black box theater, some kind of weird experimental theater you festival. I, yeah. I just did anything I possibly could. Um, and then I would take and I would switch off my like night shift, my lucrative night shift, <laughs> you know, to work a, a day shift where I'd make 75 bucks or something like that. Uh, just, just to go to rehearsal at night for, to get paid for, you know, or to get not paid at all. For yeah, some exactly. Show. Yeah. Um, what but, was the, what was the weirdest show you did? You think? Um, man, it wasn't weird. It was a terrible show. It was so bad. Um, I people are still around, so I don't oh, want to okay. right. talk about anybody. But um, 
it, it was this farce and it was just just wasn't good <laughs> i mean it you know, it just yeah, wasn't some, you, good. Yeah, I've, I've been in a few of those. Yeah, you know, it, was just, it was just one of those where my friends were like, "Oh, you're doing a show," and I was like, "I am, but you're you're not coming." I'm, oh yeah, I'm not, exactly. Yeah. yeah, you're not coming to this. You can one. you can tell my feelings about a, a show when uh, just simply based on whether or not my family came to it. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's like don't bother. You yeah. know, and it's those suck. But like when you're trying to get those reps in, you know, you're just trying to get. Yep. experience, experience, experience. Like you have to do those things and it's important and it's good because you get to learn what works, what doesn't. And, and those are good experiences yeah. no, no matter what. Um, I want to definitely cover a few things. So let's, okay. let's first talk about um, uh, you and I met working on a show called Accomplice. Um, and we can't say too much about it because it's running and we don't want to spoil it for anybody. No, nope, I'm ready to talk. I'm ready to name names. Okay. Screw those guys. Wait, wait, wait. We're not- <laughs> so, so, so we won't tell you too much other than to say it was an interactive theater kind of thing. Yes. Where the audience inter- interacts in various locations with uh, actors who are part of the story, but you don't know that until you start interacting. Mm-hmm. Um, without saying too much, like... That's a that's a unique experience because both of us did that and and you never know what's going to happen yeah because it's it's there's a there's a loose script and you don't necessarily know who you're going to encounter encounter when you're there and you're just doing your best to propel the story along but at the same time uh, go with the flow with these myriad people who are coming into your environment and and you're dealing with them so having set that up. Mm-hmm. What were some of the things that happened to you during the course of your experience? Um, wow, without giving out giving up any specific information about it, um, you, you, every once in a while you get because it's interactive. I would mm-hmm. say you get audience members that um, don't realize they're audience members. A lot of some people just they, they like attention. They like you know, they want to feel like they're an actor, right? Uh, so they right. You know, there, there's always that, that line and it's like, we can go back and forth, but remember which side you're on kind of thing. And, and it'll be best for the whole, you know, the entirety of the show. Yeah. It's, it's such a weird show in that you, when you go see a show that's on a stage and, uh, you know, you go see Shakespeare, the audience is in the audience and they are up there watching the play on a stage. And at no point is the audience encouraged or directed or or desired to talk to the people on the stage when you're doing interactive theater that goes out the window that's what it is yeah yeah so so like is there anything specific that you can recall that happened people getting physical um (laughs) getting a little um this one character that i played um this woman wanted to to make out a little bit um with with you yeah it was, it was yeah and i she would constantly wait for me to not be looking or something like that or turn away and then get really close and it was like in character my character might have enjoyed it you know <laughs> but as an act and and i was single at the time as an actor i might have enjoyed it as well sure, she wasn't yeah. bad looking yeah but it just it's not a line you want to cross so right. it, you know playing into it um but not letting it cross that line kind of thing was always interesting. See, I never had anything like that. I mean, the, the worst cases where it's like you, people were violating the fact that, that you're a person and it was like, you know, like in a, in a negative way and they weren't trying to kiss me, yeah. but they were, you know, they were, you know, saying mean things. And it's like, when you say mean things to a character, 
that are character related. Like if I'm playing dumb and you 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 call me stupid, that's what that's my job. Yeah. But if suddenly you start making fun of my appearance, then it's like, dude, <laughs> I'm a person. <laughs> you know, I exist. <laughs> I, this is actually my own shirt I brought <laughs> from home. <laughs> I don't I don't peel my my mask off at the end of this. Yeah. So that was that for me was like really where it's like. You have to stay in control of yourself, but at the same time, you're like, in character, I probably would have decked this guy by now. Yeah. So, I was like, how did how did you deal with that? I mean, most times, you know, you just try and deflect um, and and kind of put the action somewhere else, you know, give and take focus um, when needed. And that's nothing improv uh, teaches you very well, you know, because it's not scripted. So you don't really know what's coming next. So hmm. sometimes you need to know when to just shut your mouth and let someone else go. And sometimes you need to cut them off or, you know, take focus or whatever. So a lot of giving and taking of focus, um, hmm. you know, to, you, you knew what kind of outcome you wanted for the right. most part with right. the scene. And that's, that's what it was that it was all outlined similar to like, um, what Larry David would do or Chris guest mm-hmm. does with his films. And you, you know where the scene kind of ends Right. And you just you you shepherd it to that to that uh that end, right? Um, so I would just try and you know if it needed to be cut off and I needed to just send them on their way or whatever. <laughs> that definitely happened a few times, and there was one time in particular when they were getting really physical with me. Um, and it was it was a it was a bunch of uh, Jersey boys, I think. Sure. Um, and they were they were getting a little soused, and uh, <laughs> yeah. they started getting physical. <laughs> And it, you know, and it was like it wasn't anything where they were hitting, they were uh, like punching me, but they were poking, you know, and like in in the face and and all and like I'm trying to be nice and stay in character. At a certain point, I was just like, all right, get the f out of here. Yeah, right, right. That's it. Right. Go, move, you know, move on. That's it. It was as if you were playing a character, and just to try and give some context. But it's like, like you like, pretend Rob is saying he's playing a character who is paralyzed from the neck down. Anything they do to provoke you might make you move and a make you stop doing your job yeah. and b ruin the show for themselves and for other people. Yeah. The, and the, people, that's what people don't get. The, there's weird. a certain thing. It's like <clears throat> you, you know, you're coming to a show, so to speak, you know, it, it, let's all just, we all entered into this agreement to suspend our disbelief a little bit. Right. Just, right. just do it. You yeah, know, like yeah. you can, there, you don't be a jerk. <laughs> much, don't, don't be a, don't be a jerk. Yeah, that's it's pretty good advice all around. But in this case, especially if you were involved as an audience member in a show, remember the A in audience, right? Because maybe you'll stop thinking that you belong up on stage or punching an actor or something yeah. like that. All right, so let's get away from the interactive theater stuff and and let's talk about some of the writing you've done. And you you've, you you're a writer performer officially, so. Um, let's, let's talk about African American. Okay. Uh, where, where did that come from? Um, that came from growing, uh, growing up, uh, being biracial. Um, basically <laughs> the whole show is really about that. Mm-hmm. Um, I knew that I wanted to do something like it. I, uh, it's a, a solo show that ran for a few years. Mm-hmm. Um, and it was basically, you know, my journey growing up being biracial <clears throat> and it was, mostly mostly comedy but it dealt with it dealt with race it dealt with racism mm-hmm. um you know self-doubt and all that so it had its, its dramatic moments as well mm-hmm. um but one thing i've always used comedy to kind of deal with my own my life so that's it's mostly a, a comedy but um I, I knew i wanted to kind of get some stories out there um and i've been keeping a journal for a while and and 
I, I was moving more towards a one-man show, and I got really into John Leguizamo. Mm-hmm. And I always have been, um, but then I started to really study his his shows, and that he helped me kind of form how I wanted the show to look and what I wanted to be, you know, because there's a bunch of different ways to do a solo show and it's interactive as characters, there's monologues. Um, and so, you know, and he's done pretty much all of it, but, um, so yeah, I kept that, that, that journal for about a year and then, um, I wasn't still wasn't really sure what I wanted to do, but then it was a, a, uh, theater festival that came up mm-hmm. and you know, the, the entry for scripts was, two months away, you know, and I was like, you know what, it's time. I have the, I have the stories. I just need to sit down and do it. And I wrote the script for it about in a month, got into that festival. And where um, was that one? That was at the, the Paul Michaels, the network one act festival. Okay. That's here in the city. Um, it is. Yeah. yeah. In New York. Um, I remember I got with a good friend of mine who directed me, um, Anthony Algello, phenomenal actor and, uh, and director, Who's directed me in a few different things? Also, I, I met him doing that uh, the fantasy party, which m- most of my friends now have come from that show. It's really cool. That's good. Um, yeah. <laughs> but uh, we sat down, or you know, we we went through the the script the first time. I read it out loud, and it was about an hour long, and um, it was just terrible. <laughs> it was it was so bad. I was I was sad afterwards. Oh, I was man. like, let's just forget this ever happened and never speak of it again. And uh, but he's such a great director, and he was like, "No, let's sit down and let's go through it again." And we worked and worked and worked, and it got to a, a, what I think is a really good place. So cool. Yeah. Uh, what after it went to the network? What did you do? Where did it go? Um, it ended up winning a few awards there, which is which is awesome. Mm-hmm. Um, best solo show and and uh, best solo performer, and then um, I ran at the Pit, the People's Improv Theater in New York mm-hmm. for three months. Um, went to I did it uh, again for a short. Living Theater uh, downtown mm-hmm. um, for uh, a short engagement. And then I took it to a few festivals, the Urban Theater Festival in Philadelphia um, for uh, a short engagement. And then um, I'm trying to think. And then I did it at the Seeing Place Theater in New York, mm-hmm. in Midtown, um, in uh, Hell's Kitchen. That's 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 pretty cool. It's a thing that's something you created, something that was your life is is you know being carried along that much. It's that's very cool. It was great. It was it was uh, it was really it was a cathartic experience to kind of just put it out there um, and uh, ran for about two or three years and then basically the last performance was a, a year and a half ago mm-hmm. and a few people asked me like are you gonna do it again and and it was like no I think you know it was it was fun to perform as a show but it was so personal and I think I kind of closed the book like I closed that chapter kind of yeah those do- stories and I dealt with it. You purged yourself of whatever feelings went into it, which yeah. is amazing. And, and I think that's probably the real challenge of live theater. Uh, you know, when you do a film or, or something like that, if this was a film version of that, you do it once and you let it go. But to find the way, to, to find the energy to continue doing it uh, every day or, or on a regular basis, that's that's hard to do. And that's, for me, is the biggest challenge of doing live theater is making it new and, and finding the, like, the oomph to make it real again that yeah. many times. So I can totally understand that. Um, so at, at some point you, you hooked up with uh, other professionals and, and, and specifically representation. At what, at what point did you uh, have people coming up to you or, or how did you find representation? Cause I know you've been going on to doing some, some other good stuff. So <laughs> how did just for, for the benefit of the completion of your story. So when, when did, when did representation come into it? Um, 
trying to think of the, the, the first time. Uh, maybe I was in the city for maybe two years, um, and a friend that I'd done a show with and I'd become friends with now um, had a, had a manager, and and he recommended her recommended me to her, and she got in contact with me and set me out for a few things. That's how I booked my first job on Law and Order. Mm-hmm. Um, but I mean, it was kind of just like a, a one-off kind of thing, and we kind of went our separate ways. But the, f- the first, I think, doing African was when I really got noticed by peeps and people. So that was the and thing that kind of propelled you a little bit, yeah. and, it's, and it's kind of become a, a kind of a calling card a little bit. Just you know, it's a catchy name, sure, <laughs> if sure. nothing else. But, yeah, yeah. Um, there's some you know clips online, and uh, it, it. I think that was the best display of who I am as a person and as a, as a performer, yeah. not as much as an actor, but as a performer. Um, and, uh, through that festival, uh, a manager and an agent, you know, kind of approached me and started working with them. That's a, I mean, that's, yeah. that's the goal right there is to be seen at your best in the best context. For sure. And are you still working with them? I uh, still, yeah, I, I, the, um, the manager, yes. Uh, we, we worked there for a while and then went our separate ways and then kind of, they went to a different management company and, uh-huh. and then we kind of found our way back to each other. So, so who's cool. that? Who's that? Uh, Roger Paul management. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, yeah, he's been great We're working for a few years now. And, and with him, you've done a, f- a few more things. You said you mentioned law and order and that was, that was what you had done with that other manager. But uh, I know you recently did stuff on the blacklist, right? Yeah. Tell, um, tell me about that. That was really cool. Uh, great experience. Christie street casting is awesome. They've always been really good to me. Um, gotten to know them quite a bit and had some, some really good auditions for them. And just one of those auditions where I went in and, uh, and just, I knew I had it, you know, yeah. like there's a lot of them that I'm like, I do not have that one. <laughs> <laughs> there's more, many more that I go, no, that's not the one for yeah, me. Right, you know? right, right. Um, but, uh, it was just one of those things you walk into a room and you connect with the director who's there right away. And, um, Felt really good about the the read and and it was great. I got to be on set with James Spader. Yeah, I mean that's I mean you can't. How 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 many days did you end up working? I only one, but it was uh, it was a pretty long. <laughs> and you were working, you were working like just like that. You were in one like one location, right? So yeah, you were you were together the like for the, the whole most day. Of that shoot. Yeah, yeah. It was that was it was great. It was amazing to just watch someone that is an expert at their craft. Sure. Um. I mean, he did. Their director, you know, and not to put anyone down, but the director, you know, deferred to him. It, it, it's a, it's a star, you know, star vehicle, mm-hmm, him. Mm-hmm. and he. When you see someone that just knows, especially in TV, when they just know everything, they know why the camera should be there because the action moves this way. They mm-hmm. know why the scene should you know, should flow this way. Um, you know, they they are able to to kind of break down uh, a script and make changes if need if changes need to be made. It was just, it was the coolest thing to watch um, and learn so much from just being around him. Also, the guy memorizes things in an incredible amount of time. Yeah, I can, I, yeah, I mean, he's, uh, he's somebody who obviously just like pours himself in everything he does. Yeah. And, you know, he's got complicated stuff to say. He's, he's not doing fluff a lot of the time. Right, yeah. So, um, and for you transitioning from doing so much on stage to doing stuff for film, what was the biggest difference for you when you went from stage stuff to, to doing stuff on on film, quote unquote, because it's all digital nowadays. Yeah, right. Um, th- I mean, the biggest thing was just the technical stuff of make it smaller. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You know, um, that's a big thing. That's not it, nothing. I mean, that's yeah. a huge deal. To make it more intimate, and it, it helped to do the solo show because the way I, 
uh, Hafgan was set up was that I, I was telling stories to the audience. So I, I always wanted to make them smaller, make it, you know, bring them in closer. Um, and uh, yeah, the, that that was a little adjustment to not be so big and to, mm. to trust that the, the camera will find you kind of thing. And um, yeah, that was the biggest thing. Yeah, no. Uh, so nowadays, you you are doing still plenty of performing, but you you you've been doing a lot of writing. Uh, what what's what's the big thing now? Um, the, the, a few things. I, I stay I stay a little busier than I should maybe <laughs> need to be. Um, but that's just one of those things where if I have the time, I wanna I wanna keep creating, and I got so many talented friends around me um, that it's like, hey, let's let's just make something. Mm-hmm. You know, it, it it's so available. Um, to us, but there's a web series uh, that I co-created with a great friend of mine, Chris Harbor, and um, co-starring uh, Anna Becker. Um, it's called Common Sense Police. Mm-hmm. It's a web series and it's a little comedic short. It was in the the uh, TV festival last year and did mm-hmm. really well. And so we've been pitching that around. We shot uh, seven or eight episodes. What's the, what's the what's the what's the basic pitch of Common Sense? Police? Common Sense Police is uh, three rogue cops going after common sense offenders, people that. <laughs> Fart on elevators and uh, stop at the bottom of an escalator and don't pick up after their dog or talk too loud in, in a Starbucks on their cell phone. You know, like, that's great. I'm so I'm glad somebody like there was years ago. I came up with the idea of doing the the Nice Patrol, which is a sort of similar concept, but I had no like there was nothing that drew me to actually doing anything with it. So I'm yeah. glad that like you had the idea and you, you're doing it. It's such a good thing, man. It's like it's only something that now I'm I'm vaguely conscious of. You yeah. know, just do it. Yeah. Oh, yeah. For that for sure. But the concept alone, it was just like, what? Why don't? Why are people such jerks? All the yeah. Time? No. No. Oh, that it, that needs to be said. Yeah. I mean, like, there's more messages of that need to be put out there. Like, that is stupid. Don't yeah. do that. Yeah. Yeah. Do, like, do, there's other people around. You know, like <laughs> people that don't that that don't realize like they're taking up too much space, or they're people that walk hand in hand on the sidewalk, like big families of six. Like, I, oh. I look, I love you guys. Welcome to New York. I'm glad you're enjoying the city. I'm glad you're seeing all this, the amazing <laughs> sights of how tall the buildings are, but <laughs> If you're gonna just, you can't just park here. Think of it like you're driving. You don't just stop when you see a deer. You know, if you want to look at a, a nice vista, you move to the side. You know, like, yes, exactly. Well, this, this, you can't just stop in the middle, like in the middle of walking. Yeah, it's like they're playing one big game of Red Rover. Yeah, right. <laughs> it's, it's, I, I, that drives me nuts. The, yeah. the other thing that drives me nuts is when you go into. Uh, it probably doesn't happen to you nearly as much, but when I go into a supermarket mm-hmm. and I've got the cart. And there's a woman with a cart in front of me, and she gets just past the 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 automatic doors, stops right then and there to look at her phone. It happened last night. Oh, it did okay. Oh yeah. Oh, I mean, with a supermarket at, at yeah. the supermarket. Oh, yeah. I say there you go. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. yeah. I thought, but it just probably doesn't happen at bodegas as often. Uh, but it, it supermarkets, it's like it, you know, bodegas. It's just with people in their bodies. Just yeah, standing yeah. Standing like hey, bodies. I'm gonna pass by. Maybe you go sideways. Right. 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 This can be a two way lane if you yeah. if you know. Oh man. <laughs> It's it's just it's mind boggling yeah. how people just do not seem to have sense of a, like what's around them, and it's getting worse. Yeah. It's getting oh, now. Sound like an old man. It, uh, <laughs> and you've been doing you've been doing screenplays. Yeah, um, yeah. The one that I'm working on right now, which I'm really excited about, is actually a follow up to African okay. uh, African American. Um, it's called This Is Family, and uh, it it's. Uh, it's semi autobiographical. It pulls it pulls from from things about my life. And one thing that African did was it, you know, I was able to close a chapter on my childhood, and I 
when I look back at the, those stories, I was like, I've never, I had never met my biological father. And, uh, I was about 28, 29. And I was like, you know what? I, I can, I, I can contact him. I, I know how to do that. Um, I think I'm ready. You know, I'm ready to, I, I didn't, I didn't really know if I wanted to, I just didn't want to lose the opportunity kind of thing. Mm. And, um, so I finally tracked him down at, at 29 and, uh, we met and, you know, it was really nice and got to meet his father, so technically my grandfather and his wow. brothers and uh, two half sisters, which I never met before, and wow. um, it, yeah, it was it was really nice to 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 do that. Um, and so this is family, the short film that I just wrote. Uh, it it deals with a, a young father to be, which I am not a father to be um, right so, now. To the best of your knowledge, yeah, to the best of my knowledge, yeah. and that's why I don't. Pick up my cell phone when I don't see a blocked <laughs> number. I'm not. No, I won't take responsibility. Um, <laughs> it's great. Um, Papa was a Rolling Stone. <laughs> it is. It is. Uh, the cat's in the cradle. Hopefully that yeah. kid doesn't listen to this podcast. And That's right. I'm sorry, you're on your own, kid. <laughs> you're on your own. Um, so, a uh, young father to be who's uh, struggling with the decision to locate his birth father, um, and uh, you know searching for questions about the future, about the past, and mm. then kind of avoiding questions about the future. Um, so we're going into pre-production right now, and we're also fundraising for it, which is exciting and frustrating and annoying. Yeah, but yeah. How, how are you going about it? What, we're doing it, are you going uh, with? an Indiegogo campaign. Indiegogo. And uh, it, it, it's, we're, we've been very fortunate, I have to say. Um, our, we're looking to raise uh, 10000 and we just started it. A few days ago, and we've already raised about eighty percent of our funding. That's a pretty impressive. It, uh, it, wow, it's been pretty cool. Um, Who, um, how long a duration are you? We've about twenty-eight more days. We're only doing four, 27 more days. We do it for thirty days, basically. So depending on whether when when, when this actually goes up on on the internet, I sound like. Like somebody who never looked at a computer, yeah. <laughs> when it goes up on the computer machine, the big box, yeah. Yeah. Uh, w- how would somebody find the Indiegogo campaign if they were looking for it? What's the uh, name of the project? Uh, it's called This Is Family. Um, this is family. It's uh, I think it's it's trending right now, which is really cool um, on uh, Indiegogo's website. But if you go to, uh, there's some numbers involved in in the actual URL. But if you go to Indiegogo. And uh, type in "This is Family." It should be one of the first ones that pops up. We're going to uh-huh. Indiegogo Film, and you should be able to be able to find it. Um, but we've got a great director, Rowan Bibby, um, great producer, uh, Four Times Films, and Brennan Brennan King, which no relation to me at all, but just you know, luck, you know, or or, or you, yeah, 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 right. As far as we know, as far as we know, yeah. Um, but uh, yeah, so I'm I'm super excited about it. That's great. Yeah, that's great. Well, you know, if I if you don't mind, like when you when you finally met your dad, mm-hmm. I mean, what 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 was the biggest thing you learned? I mean, like it's it's got to be eight bajillion questions. So I'm not going to try to like boil it down and and condense it for you know the next two minutes. But I mean, what what was the thing that you learned that I guess that that helped you close the chapter? I guess that's the. I, I think I'm still dealing with it um, and still taking it in, I guess. But, you know, it was weird. Uh, I'd gone 29 years and I'd grown up with a father, I'd grown up with a mother, you mm. know. Um, I grew up with a family. So meeting him and, and the other people in my family that I'm related to, it it was, they were 
in the most respectful way possible. They were just people to me. Mm-hmm. Um, I didn't, I wasn't, I didn't like open the door and be like, Papa, you know? Right, right, right. Um, and we embraced and, you know, I'm sitting, I'm sitting on his ex- lap right now. Yeah, I don't think anybody <laughs> could expect, you know, I don't think you're being disrespectful by saying that, because given just the circumstances behind it, that I, I think it would take a great deal of um, arrogance for somebody to think, well, obviously, after 29 years, he came to find me, sure. therefore... I'm Papa, you know. Yeah. I, 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 I don't. I think that's fairly natural yeah. for that to happen. And they were, they were very, and they, and they weren't like that at all, which was nice. They mm. were, they were just. I think it, it showed that they really cared because they were. I could see they were letting me kind of lead a little bit. Like, mm. what, what does he need? Um, and it was really nice. It was, it was, it was nice. <laughs> I don't know. I, I I always I kind of try and I like to check myself a little bit and be like, am I am I try, am I purposely being distant, you mm-hmm. know, about mm-hmm. this? Um, but I, I don't think so. I think it's just an experience, and I'm, I'm glad I got to meet them. But yeah, I, yeah. I mean, I, it's 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 fascinating, and 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 I don't want to get too hooked on it, but it's like just that much time passing, and to I mean, did you did you talk at all about? some of the decisions that were made 29 years ago. I mean, to, to, to never have any contact is, is that's a long time. Yeah. Um, yeah, we did. You know, a lot of it, it was about race. Um, Mm -hmm. my dad, uh, my biological father is black and my mom's white. Mm -hmm. Um, and, uh, it it just, and it's hard to believe, but in 1982, that wasn't really okay. No, Um, it wasn't. No, no. Um, and, uh, so, in the, there was a lot of love um, from what I've heard from both my mom and my dad, and, mm. but it, it just it was uh, it was too hard for both of them, and it just wow, yeah, it's that's it's pretty amazing, yeah. you know. And it's it's funny, it's yet another thing that we sort of. I mean, it's obviously a uh, it's it's less uh, obvious, but, but my mom was raised Catholic, my dad was raised Jewish, yeah. and when they got together, it was not well supported sure. by anybody. Yeah. So, you know, I, they stayed together and they, and they, you know, I, I, they're still together to this day, awesome. but it did, it did shape me who I am, you know, just like knowing that they sort of had to, uh, find their own way and, and that I never identified with either of those religious groups, uh, or those religious cultures for that matter. Were they religious at all? <clears throat> Not really. Okay. You know, they were raised with that religion, but they, neither of them ever forced it upon us. You know, we celebrated holidays as, as like a, as a f- celebration of family, not as a cool. faith or religion. Yeah. So, you know, I, I grew up outside of all that stuff and it did sort of create this feeling like I'm kind of removed from every group that's out there. So in, is that a, in a good way or in now I think it's a good way, but okay. you know, there's a lot of like identity stuff that happens. So I'm, I'm just guessing that for you, it's very much the same, you know, where you, um, you, you identify very specifically with two very specific groups yet at the same time that you, you know, that, that, that they didn't agree with yeah. the thing that brought you into this world. So it's, t- it's tough. Yeah. You know, it's, You're, it's, you feel like a little bit of an other, you know? Yeah. 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 There was, there was always times where, uh, they'd always ask, every, you know, back then in school, they do surveys or they'd ask everybody, so who, who here's Catholic and who here's Jewish? And it's like, well, I'm, I don't, not, yes. not sort of, yeah. but you know, and I, and you know, for me, it's, it's not, there's nothing cosmetic that indicates it. So for you, you have that extra element to it, 
which I'm, I'm sure like you I have looked, to, I look Dominican. Yeah. So then, yeah, it was, it's, it's <laughs> yeah. so for, I'm guessing that, that it was harder for you to even avoid questions and things like that. Yeah. So yeah, yeah. it's, a, yeah, I've, I've done a, a lot of interviews and just talks with people uh, that are biracial or multiracial in any way. And, it's always it's always the what are you question. Yeah, that, yeah. That, I guess I, yeah, that's what happens. You get this what am I question. Yeah. Um, and then at this point in my life, you know, at this stage of my life, it's like that has ceased to matter so much. Um, and I sort of blend into the background anyway. And the world is sort of kind of let go of a lot of that stuff. You yeah, know, it's like it's true. especially here in the U.S. where it's like and, and the area we live in in the U.S. where religion's not uh, so much of an identifier to who you are right. um, today though you, you, you are, you know, that we live in a world where there still is, you know, a lot of racism and sure. it's, it's unfortunate, but it's true. So what, what is it like for you today? Um, <laughs> good. <laughs> <laughs> um, do you yeah. ever find, do you ever find any, any difficulties because of it? Yes, and there's, but there's difficulties in everything. I, I, so I don't think it, anything really stands out at, mm. at this at this point um, where we are. You know, I try to look at it like uh, you know, if you're sensitive, you can you can be offended by anything. Sure, sure, um, sure. And I, I just try to look at things like what are what are people really saying? You know, mm. um, what's kind of behind their their words? You know, what's what's the intention really? Because there's there are people that we know actually you and I know yeah. that that can that's they don't know how to say things the right way they can come off very offensive or, or you know have a, a cutting way of of or a backhanded way of complimenting people okay and yeah whatnot. but you know or um, I was with, <clears throat> with someone uh, a few months ago and they were. They were talking about race or something like that, and someone and that how they identified someone was by their skin color, and they were like, "Oh, was that? Wait, was that? You know, asking, <laughs> kind of deferring to me?" And and I was like, "No, you're you're good. Like, you know, you were just you were just trying to identify them. You're not. Excuse me. You're, you're not a like a racist. Yeah, right, uh, right. It, Unless it was like preceded by lousy. You know, right? Yeah, he was one of those lousy blanks. Blank. Yeah." yeah. No, I just what what are people really saying? They may, they may not say it the most politically correct way, right? You know, right? But well, they're probably not. They probably just don't know. Yeah, you know? yeah. Like, there's still ignorance, and there's still a big learning curve for everybody. Yeah. What about as an actor? It sucks as an actor. <laughs> it's it's the worst. No, um, it, it's still tough mm -hmm. because I I still am an other. Um, mm. you know, and there's been this huge push the past few years of, um, they want ethnically ambiguous mm -hmm. and that was yeah, a, a absolutely. huge buzzword. It's very cool. Yeah, but I, what I feel like it still comes down to is, yeah, but we still want to be able to put something in a box, you know? Yeah. And everyone, you know, there are some cast directors that fight for that. There's some directors and writers that, you know, that will just put, you know, male right. 21 to 25 or whatever and, right you know right, they right. don't put has to be a caucasian has to be whatever and th those are great and it's great that people are more conscious of it 
but for the most part, that ethnically ambiguous thing was just crap to me, you know, because people would come in, I would, I would still get submitted for black and white roles. My manager was like, we're going to push, you know, like Mm -hmm. it says Caucasian, but you you are Caucasian. So you're going in. Right. And they would see, I get seen a lot for a lot of stuff, but then it would come down to like, oh, we wanted black. Oh, we wanted urban you know, like you're not you're not black. It's like I am. I'm, yeah, I'm, I'm both. But you're right, 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 right. If you know, if you're not just one, you're 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 not. It's either. it's so weird. It's yeah. so funny. But in 20 years from now, I hope that some actor who's you know in their mid late 20s or something like that is going. Do you realize that 20 years ago they didn't know how to cast just people? Yeah, yeah. It's so weird. But that's. You know, when when money's involved, that's gonna happen. It, it, and I don't want to. I don't want to dismiss it. I don't want to. Yeah. You know, I'm not. I'm not being no. permissive when I say that. But it's like the weird. The world is just kind of weird that way. It, you know, it's just it's tough. And I feel like it. it no one wants to lose their job. Everyone, mm-hmm. you know, like everyone's looking for a sure thing. And you know, I, it, it's it's. You just got to keep keep going. Yeah, you gotta keep, exactly. You got to push through. <laughs> you know, you got to keep it. Like for me, it's just, uh, you know, if I'll just keep creating roles, I guess, for myself. And eventually you'll just, you'll, people will catch up. Isn't that, the, isn't that the way? I mean, like that's, that's, that's what all the good auteurs have done is just sort of put their self out there yeah. as, as a thing. And then suddenly that becomes a thing for other people to be. Yeah. So there you go. You just, you just keep doing what you're doing, man. That's it. Yeah. Uh, how do people find you? Uh, my website is uh, www.robertnking.com. What's the N? N is for Neil. Oh, is it? Is it for real? <laughs> it is. Yeah. Um, uh, you know, Twitter. I'm uh, good to be the king, and that's good. The number two, the letter B, and it's the king. T H A king. If you can remember all that, was um, was good to be the with an e king already taken. It was, of course, it was. I, I probably by um, Mel uh, Mel Brooks's people, um, <laughs> but uh, yeah, I'm 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 out there. I'm on Facebook, YouTube. You know, well, people are gonna look for you. I hope so. Hey, thanks for doing this, man. That was it. Has been awesome. Thank you so much. There he is, Rob King, actor, playwright, good dude. If you want to help support his new film effort, his short film, This Is Family, go to Indiegogo.com, do a search for This Is Family, and you can donate some funds his way. Uh, as of today, with 12 days left in the campaign, they are at 87% of their goal, which is pretty lofty. And uh, congratulations for getting this far, and, and, and of course they can... They can always use a little bit more. And you can uh, reach out to Rob on Twitter. He is at good to be the king. And uh, that is, of course, good. The number two, the letter B, T H A K I N G. Good to be the king. Uh, make sure you spell the with an A and, and not with an E, and you will be fine. And of course, thank you to Rob for being with us. That about does it for another edition of Bring Your Own Lunch. Of course, got to thank Banuba for providing the music. Banuba.net. Find out where they'll be. Download some of their music. Don't forget to go to nysfso.com to find out how you can submit a film to the New York Short Film Shootout. We'd love to have you involved. And don't forget to check out Treehouse Theater NYC. That's the website for the venue of the New York Short Film Shootout. They're, of course, uh, doing some good stuff. And, of course, don't forget to check us out on Twitter at 
BYOL podcast. You can find us on Facebook at facebook.com slash bring your own lunch. And we're always online on the web on your browser or, or some other way of accessing a web page. Bring your own lunch.com for all episodes, past, present, and future. Subscribe on iTunes. Get involved on Stitcher. Rate and review. That's a big way for you to help us out. And we would love to get some feedback from you. Stay tuned for the Jimmy Jack Cow Punch Hour, followed by Mansoor and the Fish. And until next week when we have another great guest, this is Dave. I'll see you next Tuesday.